In today's episode of the Effective Engineering Manager podcast, Adam and Slava discuss a manager's success strategy and why it's a foundational building block for any engineering manager. Welcome to the Effective Engineering Manager podcast. Hello, Adam. It's your time today. What would you like to talk about? Hi, Slava. As you know, we started a series on helping our listeners find the right path to becoming an effective leader in their journey. We have covered motivation, we've covered developing management skills, and we even talked about leading from front and behind. And today, we're going to take the next step and share how to start to build a success-oriented strategy as a manager. Uh, Definitely, the meat of execution as an effective manager is being able to define and execute a plan uh, that is oriented around the success incremental and long-term. So uh, let's dive into this. Can you define what we mean when when we say a success-oriented strategy? Absolutely. A success-oriented strategy, or success-oriented in general, means that we are building a plan that is oriented around specific milestones and areas of success. So you're looking at success as your goal up front. It looks top-down at organizational goals, but applies them practically in a bottom-up way to be able to execute them from a team basis. So by taking this hybrid approach, both top-down and bottom-up, we are ensuring the team is in the best position to not only meet organizational goals, but also focused on effective ways to execute them. Uh, This is a good definition and an important point, especially for the managers starting their journey uh, many many managers struggle early on with their success uh, simply because they don't know how to define it. And yet uh, they struggle with it and uh, the goals can be ambiguous for the team. So how does a manager start to build such a strategy? That's a great question. And, it, and it's not necessarily easy, but I think one of the things we can, we're trying to do here is we'll break it down into key pillars. So the first thing with these pillars is to look at what are the main areas that you have to include in your strategy. And uh, to help make it easier for our listeners, we came up with uh, an easy way to remember. So if you take the word opportunity, right, thinking about as a manager, this is an opportunity for you to build an effective team and become a manager. Um, If you look at some of the letters in opportunity, O, P, and T, you can actually break them down into the the pillars. And in this case, there are three Ps. So there's an O, three Ps, and a T. The O stands for organization, right? So things that are going to be specific to addressing organizational needs. People, very important, right? Addressing people within your team and across the organization as well or lateral relationships you have as a manager. Products, what you're building and how it's going to make, uh, make the company profitable processes, things you're doing to execute that plan to go from A to B, and tools, the things that you actually use to get the job done. And more specifically, it could be things like, what are you doing for your development tools? What are you doing for your release automation? What are you doing for running your your product or infrastructure? Uh, So these are the main key pillars that we're going to get into. And uh, if you remember opportunity, you'll never be lost thinking of the uh, pillars that you have to cover when building a success strategy. This sounds great. Uh, What can we start with? So let's start with O, organization. So organization is really covers the umbrella for everything you're doing 
as a manager. Um, everything you're doing as a team is because you're contributing to an organizational need or goals. And so as a manager, you have to really be clear on what is it that your organization is trying to do? What is the organizational need? What is what is their business model? What are they trying to do? Um, it can be very easy as an engineering manager to get focused on the engineering specifics of what your team is doing and writing code, but always has to be tied back to an organizational need. Uh, and in other words, a business need. Also, you organization also implies the glue that connects one team to another. So as a manager, you are the conduit to connect to other teams and your ability to reach across teams and build relationships so that you can solve those organizational goals is really critical. You can't operate on an island as a team and still be successful. Also, visibility. You need to make sure that you have some way for your team's work to be visible to the rest of the organization. Um, at a minimum, just to I just to identify that your team is performing and doing success. But more importantly, for identifying uh, visibility, so that again, that whatever your team is doing can contribute to that true business need. And then. I think the the last part there is is going to be what we call team initiatives. So if you look within your team, you need to find what how do you connect organizational goals and your team goals and create that space or that secret sauce if you will for your team to not only perform but be motivated and perform very well. And that's where a lot of team initiatives come into play because once the team starts to initiate, um, because they're motivated and passionate, those initiatives can grow into things that are always that are going to help the organization ultimately, and not and these will contribute to organizational needs, but they may also contribute to other things the organization can use that they may not have thought of. So it's again, it's kind of like a bottom up evolution of ideas. And that's part of uh, the O in organization. Uh, good stuff. And uh, I can certainly relate to this. And uh, early in my career, I've done that mistake of uh, working really hard and not communicating the successes of my team, right? And um, this really doesn't do uh, any good, right? And you really had a good point about uh, making the team successes visible, right? And uh, uh, we can talk about things such as just uh, letting your boss on a regular basis that, hey, team succeeded with XYZ or uh, promoting your people through uh, shared successes, right? Or uh, building presentations for extended teams, right? Where you can go show up and uh, present on uh, what, you, what your team has accomplished. I think it's it's a really important point. Um, and of, of all things, organizational, uh, uh, when it comes to organization, uh, this is one of the things that we definitely should keep an eye on. What else? Next one is P, uh, people. So one of the P's, uh, people. Um, and as our listeners know, uh, this is an area that uh, Slava, you and I are very passionate about. We have plenty of episodes on things around people because we know that is the uh, the core to building an effective team and being an effective manager is if you can really get the most out of people and build those people relationships. So under people, first and foremost, one-on-ones with your team, laterally, whatever 
uh, guidance we've given in the past for one-on-ones still applies. Uh, but one-on-ones is a key part, and that has to be part of your strategy as a manager. That is going to connect you to your team and to others and to start to build those uh, that network of relationships that you need and trust. The next is under people career coaching plans. So every individual that's a part of your team uh, needs to feel like they're fulfilling some of their own personal goals, right? We all we all join a company because we see it as an opportunity to grow in some way. And you as a manager, part of your strategy has to look at how are you helping the rest of your team achieve some of their goals? Because if they're achieving their goals, it's going to be easier to retain those individuals and build more effective, performant, motivated teams. Team morale and engagement. We've covered this in multiple areas as well. We've talked about kudos programs, birthdays, and other ways that you can recognize individuals on the team or create a culture of engagement to build that culture and morale. And that has to be also part of your strategy. And it should be very clear that it's an it's a point of emphasis as a manager that you know, we need to we need to have a good time as a team. We need to do things that where we celebrate our successes and we also celebrate each, each individual and what they're contributing to the team. Then people uh, also under there is understanding both product owner and horizontal relationships. So when you're an engineering manager, you are ultimately responsible for deliverables, but you're also responsible for managing the requirements as well. And whoever is providing those requirements to you, whether it's uh, a program team, a product owner, uh, uh, product line manager, or someone else, you have to understand where that comes from. And again, that has to be part of your strategy in building that relationship person to person so that those requirements can flow through and there's no loss in translation as they're flowing through to your team. Because if those requirements are not implemented correct, correctly, ultimately you're going to be doing a lot of rework and you know, that will affect the performance of your team. And then I think the last thing under people is really sphere of influence. When you become a manager, and this is really targeted to folks that are thinking about starting their management journey, once you become a manager, meaning you have directs under you, you now have a much more direct and official sphere of influence. The people that report to you uh, are people you can mold and they are looking to you to mold that, right? You have that opportunity granted to you by the organization at this point. Um, doesn't mean that's, that li- that's the limit of your sphere of influence, but you have that and you have to say, okay, I now have a responsibility to use that sphere of influence and use it effectively. And uh, again, centered purely around people needs. So those are those are some of the key things under the people side. What do you think about that? Uh, good stuff. And uh, uh, very much to the point, I think it's worth mentioning that uh, we have an episode just coming up after this one where we're going to focus on uh, uh, building and executing on a plan for developing uh management careers uh, or other transitioning uh, individual contributors to managers and i hope our listeners will stay up and uh, um, enjoy that one as well but otherwise really good stuff what's next next one is uh, another p uh, products so 
a product really encompasses whatever you're building, right? And what it is that the company is ultimately making money off of. Uh, so like we talked about with people, identifying who your product owner is under the product side, identifying where ownership for product comes from and how you can not only get requirements and build those personal relationships, but build a flow of, of feedback back and forth so that the product team can, or the, the business side of the product team can be aligned with the technical side of the product team. And if your team as an engineering organization is building uh, software or other kinds of services around the product, you need to make sure that you're you're advocating and sort of evangelizing for what you're building to the product team so that they are both aware and are able to utilize that as part of the growing roadmap and solution. Second under product is what is the roadmap? So as a manager for the team, you cannot just be a pass-through for requirements. You can't just say, okay, requirements are coming to us. I'm going to distribute them to the team. I think we talked about this in another previous episode where we talked about the art of translation as a manager, where you have to be able to communicate up and down. And this is a great example of that. As a manager, you need to craft a roadmap one, two, three-month roadmap for that your team can understand in the language they can understand it. Um, this is not to say that it's going to be set in stone. It's not even going to say that it has to be 100% aligned with what product is telling you. But what it does do is it shows that you're taking ownership of what your team's forecast is going to look like right? So sit down, whether it's with a spreadsheet or some other planning tool and say, okay, this as a team guys and gals, this is going to be what our roadmap looks like for the next couple of months. And we're going to work together to contribute to that. And that's a great place where you can actually start to put in some of the team initiatives as well. Things that may not necessarily be part of the product uh, requirements or highly visible. Maybe there's small little things here and there that the team knows we have to add or we should add or we want to try. Um, but having that is, is critical. And uh, any successful strategy as a manager includes your vision, your roadmap. Quality metrics and monitoring, those are two other things that are very much part of product as well because product success is really predicated on how high of a quality its, its components are. And so if you're pushing software that's constantly of high quality, uh, you're going to be successful and you're going to be able to grow and do more. If, if not, it's a domino effect because now you have uh, doing a lot of refactoring and rework. So understanding what are your quality metrics, what is what is it that measures quality, um, and and how does it match how the product is actually being used? Because your metrics may look great in a pre-prod type of environment, but once you push uh, your code, if it's not satisfying end user needs, then your metrics are wrong, right? If you're getting more a lot of bugs and and it's not there's a huge gap between requirements and deliverables and what you're measuring as quality. Um, again, you're going to have a, a sustaining problem on your hands because you have a lot of bugs. So understand that very clearly. Then monitoring. How is the product monitored, right? So again, to be able to get that information, you have to have a proactive monitoring plan in place to know the services and things that we're pushing out there are going to have, uh, we're going to have some visibility to how they're performing. And the last thing in product is what is the support structure? 
Um, how do you support the product? How, what is your team's role in supporting that? Uh, so all of those are very critical to the P product component of the strategy that you should have. Good stuff. And I think the only couple of things that I have to add is our uh, number one, even though we put product as a third uh, uh, letter in, in the opportunity, right? Uh, in the end of the day, uh, the jo our jobs as managers is to build and maintain effective engineering, uh, effective human organizations, right? But we, d we don't do this just because we like it or we want it, right? That effective human organization that we build feeds into building the product, right? Because without the working product that serves the needs of the customers and uh, hopefully customers are even willing to pay for it, right? This is the definition of a successful business, right? And we have to keep in mind that everything we do should feed into uh, high quality products that we deliver on time and the, and the customers love, right? Number one. And number two, I think you had a very good point. Oftentimes we end up just focusing on building the features nonstop, right? And not really paying attention to what's around us, right? And this is where we, as leaders, we have to have two roadmaps, right? One roadmap is for delivering the product, right? And one is the internal uh, engineering roadmap that supports building the product, right? And everything, everything which is non-product related goes into that and you have to have it, right? Such as uh, improving, like just like you said, uh, improving infrastructure, right? Um, improving monitoring, uh, imp improving alerting, right? Uh, making sure that the, uh, the architectures that we build a support what we have now and also can support what we're gonna build in the future, right? So it's uh, super important to keep that in mind that not, it's not only the features, it's also your job as a leader to, uh, make, sh making, is to make sure that you're also building the engineering product as a, uh, uh, as a, as a product, right? And accommodate uh, enough of time to, to make it happen. Exactly, exactly, couldn't agree more. And then the last P is processes. And this covers how your team executes on a day-to-day -day basis, right? So what are the governing processes within your team? Your development practices, your sprint or scrum practices as a team. What are your release automation and CI/CD practices? Um, and we'll talk about that in tooling as well. What is your testing quality process? How does the services and software solutions you're building getting tested? And subsequently, what is the gating criteria? Um, defining those and the processes around those is also going to be critical. And the point here is not as a manager, you know, especially a first-time manager coming into this, don't just put that all down on paper and just try to throw it at the team as if to say, this is the process we're going to do. Processes are meant to evolve and be iterative, but what's mostly important with process is consistency, right? Don't just constantly disrupt the apple carter just because you think things aren't working right. Things have to you need time and, and data points and repetitions of things before you can even determine something is not right. So, you know, even with things like sprint retrospectives, you, you want to make sure that while retrospectives are great, you don't want to just necessarily have them every sprint, especially with a, a young team, 
because you're going to be having more inconsistency than consistency at that point. And at, and and especially with younger teams and junior managers, you want to build a uh, some you want you want to build some structure of consistency to know what works or what doesn't. But also, I think we talked about this before as well. You're building confidence in your manager. So as a new manager or even a mid-level manager, you are always responsible for you know really communicating your team successes to your boss and your boss building that level of confidence and so having consistency in your processes will show your maturity in your in your management philosophy and in your strategy so keep that in mind so that's the uh pieces under p processes uh yep uh and uh i can add that i mean if you do if you define uh, I mean, one of the definitions of a process is an established way of uh, doing things that is known to bring results, right? So when you th when, and then when you think of the processes as such, right, it kind of makes it a bit clearer because I've been in the companies where a process was a P word or essentially it was a word that was not allowed to be used, right? And the teams anyway get around it and they build their own processes. They just don't use the, the, the word process, right? Because some, some companies think that having a process or a set of processes, right, somehow suppresses the initiative or creative spirit of engineers, right? And, and what we need to keep in mind that this is the established way of doing things that bring results, right? Whatever that is, right? If you, and there are really two, two ways to look at the processes um, from where I stand, right? There are things that you as a manager, as an experienced manager, know that they work, right? These things usually are not up to dis up, no, no, up for discussion, right? You just, when you come to a new team, right? What What is the first thing you do? You ask yourself, hey, uh, do they have a version control system, right? Uh, do they use version control system? Do they use uh, code reviews? Uh, do they use issue tracking system, right? Do they use task management? Are they tracking requirements based on what they were told or there's some sort of a documentation? Do they, use a, uh, do they build architecture documents before they start building something, right? So there are things which are, we as experienced leaders know that they work and when we join your organization or we're experiencing something that needs improvement in those areas, right? We can automatically go and make it work, right? And there's a second part, which is about the processes, what I call emergent processes, right? When we see things not working, right? And then as a team, we make an effort and come up with a way of doing things that work, right? We can bring those processes and what is called institu institutionalize them, right? Make them a standard, right? Uh, and uh, I've, I've been in, in previous companies, for example, I've done... Um, uh, things such as uh, uh, quality reviews or uh, regular uh, weekly sit-downs with the uh, uh, customer support, right? If if the things are perfect, everything is working, everything is tested, you know, 100% unit tests, integration tests, developer-driven uh, functional tests, right? Maybe support will never have any issues, right? But if something is missing and you can start looking around, one of the things you can do, for example, discover that talking to support can start sending you signals about the quality of the product they're building, right? And this, if you do it over time, you see that quality is improving because you get immediate feedback or other feedback from the field. 
that can become a process, right? So it's sort of uh, need to uh, need to keep in mind that uh, even though if processes are not allowed in the company or in an organization, they will emerge anyway, right? And we also need to keep in mind, as especially for experienced managers, that um, you need to stick to your guns, right? If if you know through your experience that certain things work, you have to be brave and you have to be bold and you have to be insistent and assertive when it comes to establishing processes like this, even though maybe the organization itself maybe not as receptive, right? And we've been I've been in the situations when uh, uh, continuous integration seen as a uh, as an as a no-go, right? Because well, you, you need to work on it. What if you break the bill? Then you have to focus on it, right? And you try to explain how, you know, how it's a benefit, right? How we lose less time, and people say, well, we, we don't have time to spend on, on CI because, well, we have to start. We we have to continue to build the product, right? And then we get the problem of the, you know, dull saw. So that's sort of a couple of thoughts on processes. Well, as you can see, I'm I'm very passionate about this topic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I I think you brought some great points to that as well. I think you know, like you said, stick to your guns, and that's why it's such an important part of the success strategy. If you have that as a manager, it'll help you do that. So totally agree. Um, the last one is tools. T tools. Um, so <laughs> tools, uh, especially when you talk with engineer in engineering circles. You know, it's a it's a sometimes a fight because uh, everybody has their favorite tools and they want to hold them close. Um, but tooling is extremely important, and identifying the tools that you're using as a team for different things is critical. From development tools all the way up to monitoring tools, automation tools, uh, frameworks, you know, and other things. And it's not to say that. You, you don't want to necessarily limit yourself and say you can only use these tools. Like, for example, you don't want to tell your development team, hey, you have to use this particular IDE. No, that's not what we're saying because, as you know, everybody can operate with their own IDE and still contribute to the same code base consistently, right? But uh, tools, like things, how is the team going to communicate? Are you going to use Slack? Are you going to use... Uh, you know, teams? Are you going to use email? Are you going to use some other mechanism? Are you going to um, create some other collaborative space for the team to uh, to do brainstorming and, and you know, kind of whiteboarding? Uh, what types of tools are you going to use to monitor your product, right? Uh, what are the, what tools serve the product best? Um, so you can go down that road, but I think one other really important part with tools that I think is critical, every manager, every engineer, as I mentioned, are going to want to come with their own set of tools. Say, oh, I want to, you know, I want to use this tool because it's, it's the latest and greatest out there and it's really cool and whatever. But as a manager, you, this is where you need to put your emotional intelligence hat on as well and say, okay, I may want to use this tool because it's really cool, but is it going to be something that A, the whole team can use, and B, is it cost effective for what we're getting out of it, right? Monitoring tools, logging tools, other things like that, that would fall into that category. You know, if you're paying an arm and a leg for a tool that your team is really just using once every now and again, or maybe one person on the team uses it primarily, um, is that an effective use of that tool? And that is also another data point to your management, uh, to your own management to say, is this guy or girl, whoever's managing the team, are they, you know, just 
using tools because they're cool or what the team wants, or are they using them for a purpose? So tooling, while there should be a lot of variability in what you can use, and there's so many great things out there that you want to explore, uh, always be mindful of the cost and impact of those. And you don't want to have you know, uh, different vendors for every different thing. If you can consolidate to a common vendor for some of your tools, even better, because that's going to help you have consistency, uh, probably better pricing, pricing and licensing and all those other things. So uh, that's why it falls as a pillar in the success strategy, knowing what tools you're going to at least use as a basis for some of these key things. Uh, is absolutely critical. Don't just, you know, don't just go wing it with tools and just let everybody use whatever they want. That just will not work. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Slava? Uh, good stuff. And um, I, sometimes I feel it's a should be even a separate topic uh, because I've spent six, seven years uh, building uh, CI tools for engineers and it was maybe, you know, best time of my life. Um, as a manager, as an engineer, and I, and as a result, I developed very strong opinions about how things should be. And uh, you, I think you had a very good point that as a manager, as managers, we need to be careful and cognizant of the fact that we, we may have our own biases in terms of the tool selection. And for example, I'll, I'll just give an example, right? I'm a big fan of IntelliJ, right? And I think when it comes to uh, building products which are using uh, Python or Java or uh, Kotlin or JavaScript or uh, GWT or a bunch of other JavaScript frameworks. I think it's the best thing. And yet, I've been in the situations when the team was pretty much 100% minus myself on Eclipse, right? What does it tell you, right? Just like you said, be emotionally intelligent, right? Think about what is the most important for the team, right? What works for the team and what makes the team productive, right? And I think personally, I think this is the fundamental criteria for defining what is important for the team and what is not, right? Because uh, it's really not about you as because you can make an order, right? You can say, hey, well, now we're switching to IntelliJ, right? And there's a good chance that half of the team is going to quit and the ho another half of the team is going to you know, struggle for the next two years trying to, you know, switch their habits, right? Me, I tried to switch to Eclipse, I don't know, five times, it never worked, right? It just doesn't doesn't speak to me. But there are people who are extremely effective with, with, with Eclipse, right? So so essentially being cognizant, being respectful of uh, what, what are the team preferences. Another good point I think you had is that seeing what is, on understanding what's what works for the team and what is religious, right? Because just like you said, I've seen individuals who are just completely, they fall in love with this new thing, new shiny toy, they, they, they must have it, right? Or else, right? And I think that's in the situation, if this is goes against the effectiveness and efficiency of the team, and, and, they feel, and they feel religious to the point of, you know, either I have it or I'm gone, let them go, right? Because we do not want religious approach to tools, right? The approach to tools should be pragmatic, right? Does it work for the team? Does it deliver best results? It's a good tool. And, but at the same time, common sense, no, no one, you know, you, we should stick to common sense because if you have a very niche tools, the team sort of kind of likes to use and because this, they've been using it for a bit, like let's say an issue taking system. I've seen this 
once I think when the team was using some sort of an obscure issue tracker, right? You cannot hire anyone, right? Because no one knows about it, right? So everyone knows Jira, right? So maybe your go-to tool still must be Jira even though the team might not be 100% on board, right? And maybe they're Jira haters, who knows, right? So it's sort of got to be a balance, right? But at the same time, there are there got to be situations when you actually have to make, you know, managerial decisions and just make make requests rather than um, being super accommodating. Uh, super accommodating. There got to be a balance, basically. And and another thing is that I need to bring up is a periodic reevaluation of the tools because uh, I I believe that over time certain tools and we talk let's talk about I mean. Let, consider frameworks, right? Certain frameworks are born, live, de get developed, and then get, then disappear, right? And then you need to be wise about what you are using and what is the effect of that. That's my thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are, those are extremely valid as well. And I think what you're seeing, you know, both of us, I think represent uh you know real practical experience with tooling with teams and tooling we know some of these challenges that come up and that's exactly why it's important uh to make it uh part of your success strategy part of one of the key pillars in defining that and and if you can do that up front as a manager you're really going to set yourself yourself up for success let alone the team's success as well so uh we have covered uh, uh, organization, people, product, processes, uh, tools. So uh, can you give us a checklist? Uh, what, is, what, is, what is that uh, our listeners should be watching for when they're starting building a new leadership profile? Yeah, absolutely. First thing is, as a, as a manager, whatever stage you're at, uh, especially for young managers, understand the importance of a success strategy and take it a step further and that success strategy should be something that you actually start to document so write it down break it down track it that's number one number two identify what the key pillars of the strategy are use the term opportunity as your guidance um, remember o three p's and a t so organization Anything that's going to help the overall organizational goals should be tied to your team goals, people, individuals, team go in, individual goals, and uh, and their motivation should be central to your operation as a manager. Products, how are we building products that match the requirements of what we need and how are we pushing those products out? Processes, the execution strategy of our team across development, delivery, releases, and the full development cycle. And tools, what tools are we using practically that are gonna give us the most value for what we're trying to do um, at a, a cost advantageous perspective as well. So understanding all of those pillars, building that into your strategy. And then the last thing is once you have that strategy in place, be ready to iterate on it. Once you've documented it, don't just let it set in stone, but iterate on it over time, make tweaks to it, you know, as tools change, as processes evolve, as the organizational business model even evolves, you have to constantly revisit that and tweak that. And let your team know what that is. 
know the strategy for your team. Know the things that they can look at as the pillars that guide them. And they can contribute to that as well. I think that's an also key part of the success strategy is participation from the team. So uh, hope all our listeners out there can go off and start to build an effective success strategy uh, to become effective managers and uh, grow in, in that role as well. Thank you, Adam. Uh, this is good stuff. Thank you, Slava. In our next episode, we are going to cover other aspects of growing individuals, as we discussed uh, earlier in, the, in this episode. So stay tuned for that. Uh, in the meantime, please reach out to us if you have any feedback or suggestions. You can email us at contact at effectiveem.com or you can visit us at www.effectiveem.com. And please do uh, submit a review for uh, the podcast or the episode on your wherever you get your podcast from. That is great feedback for us as well. Until next time, stay tuned.